VegCast. It's 2014 and we're ready to go. VegCast. With VegCast 120. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, VegCast is back again. After a hiatus, which I will talk about later, but this time out for VegCast 120, we do again have a full menu of veggie-orientated podcastery. Uh, we, ha- we are going to be speaking with Carolyn Mullen of the National Museum of Animals and Society, uh, which is a whole new institution that uh, has a lot of interesting stuff to offer that we're going to be speaking with her about. We're also going to hear a track from a, uh, an up-and-coming rising star in the sardonic vegetarian and vegan musical world, Vegan Smythe, uh, with a track from him called What I Gotta Do to Make You Go Vegan. Uh, we'll also have a science fact about the prevalence of cancer and uh, how it correlates with meat consumption as strongly as with cigarette smoking. And we'll also have a few other announcements uh, of interest to vegans and vegetarians out there. So I encourage you to sit back, relax, and crank up that MP3 player as we deliver to you this 120th edition of VegCast. Yes, welcome back to VegCast. It has been quite some time since VegCast 119, as you might have noticed. We're not quite sticking to that uh, one VegCast per month schedule that I had proposed a couple years ago and had stuck to pretty well up until that. I will have more to say on this subject a little later in this VegCast, but I want to get right away to our featured guest, Carolyn Mullen of the National Museum of Animals and Society. Let's go to that interview right now. All right, right now on VegCast, we are pleased to be joined by Carolyn Mullen, who is going to speak with us about the National Museum of Animals and Society. Carolyn, welcome to VegCast. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. Thanks for being here. And uh, this, uh, basically, just this month, you uh, had kind of the grand opening of the museum. And uh, I guess, first of all, for people who haven't heard of this, tell us where it is uh, physically located and uh, where they can also find it online, so we can uh, kind of get that out of the way. Sure. Well, we're in Los Angeles, specifically in the East Hollywood uh, neighborhood, which is pretty fun, just near Paramount Studios. And online, people can visit the museum at museumofanimals.org. Great. And what, so, uh, you know, it it says uh, Animals and Society, uh, and you, I know, are starting out uh, with a main exhibit uh, on chickens, on the, the role of chickens uh, as they relate to humans in our society. Um, and that does certainly seem to, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with the concept of eating chickens and so forth. Um, can you give us an idea of the how much that represents the general scope of what you're plan- trying to do or how... That might be just one uh, kind of example of uh, many different things that you're aiming for. Yeah, that's a good 
question. Well, let me back up a little bit and just talk a little bit about how the museum started. And basically, right. we started the museum because there was no museum documenting the history of animal protection or even vegetarianism. Um, there's an online exhibit about the history of vegetarianism out by, I think it's the International Vegetarian Union. Um, but more generally, there just isn't any representation in the physical world, in the museum field. Um, and I just found that incredibly frustrating. Uh, you know, civil rights, women's suffrage, the labor movement, even the environmental history um, all have uh, either their own institutions or representation in the Smithsonian. Uh, so that's really the impetus for starting this museum. So while we look at the history of animal protection and vegetarianism, and this is a living history that continues, um, you know, obviously now and tomorrow and into the foreseeable future, we also look more broadly at our relationships with animals. And so starting off with the grand opening on chickens was a pretty bold move in my um, you know, in terms of numbers, we know that farm animals, unlike um, marine mammals, unlike wildlife, suffer immensely at the hands of humans and in much greater numbers. And so for us to start off with farm animals was extremely important, and particularly with, you know, if you would, an underdog species. And chickens are just fascinating creatures. Right. I myself used to work at a farmed animal sanctuary, so I had the chance to get to meet these birds one-on-one -on -one and just learn about their wonderful personalities and, you know, their quirks and, and just their intricate, you know, um, natures, if you will. And so for us, it was, a, it was a great starting point, and our curators, L.A. Watson and Abby Rogers, spent almost two years bringing this exhibit to fruition. We opened it online last year thanks to generous support from United Poultry Concerns. Um, and because of that generous sponsorship, we were able to bring it to fruition in our physical space in Los Angeles. So we're really excited that it's open, and we'd love to invite everyone to visit it both online and in our, in our new home. Great. Well, so I, I did uh, go through the online version of it, um, you know, which obviously in some ways online is easy because you're just clicking through and, and looking at things in other ways. You know, you in a physical space, you can actually uh, group things in certain proximities or ju make certain juxtapositions. Is there anything uh, that we should know about the the general exhibit that we wouldn't know, we wouldn't understand from just seeing the online version? I mean, it does seem to be a very well put together online presentation. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, the curators did a tremendous job, and the interns that were involved in this project all gave their heart and soul to to this exhibit. And there is nothing like being in a physical museum. That museum experience cannot be replicated online. And it was, and it's for that reason, we felt like we had to have, you know, a home of our own, a place that people could visit and experience these. Um, interactive sessions and talk with a human being about what they're experiencing and, you know, what their questions might be and how we can just foster a healthy dialogue about our very positive and negative relationships with animals. And I think that's really, you know, what this museum centers is about is the human-animal bond. You know, what's the positive thing keeping that bond alive and what puts that bond in jeopardy. And we can see that so clearly with chickens. So one of the things that we have in our museum is a wonderful interactive station. And it's a meditation of sorts where um, it's in a, a kind of darkened corner of the museum. And we challenge people to take their shoes off and stand on a vintage milk crate that we've turned upside down. So it's to kind of replicate what it would be like to be in a battery cage. So you get this uncomfortable footing um, and you put on some headphones and one of our team members has recorded this meditation from the perspective of 
of a battery head and what she's seeing and you know the smells that she's enduring the ammonia that fills the room the darkened environment um you know how filthy she feels the sense that she can't take a bath she can't preen she can't dust bathe um and she sees her cage mate lying there lifelessly at the bottom of the battery cage and so that goes on for several minutes and it's a very eerie feeling um and in front of the viewer is uh an enlarged uh more than life-size enlargement of what it would be to be in a battery shed. So, you know, trying to provide that one-on-one -on -one experience is just so hard to do online. So we're very excited that this, uh, this new home of ours can provide that sort of encounter. Great. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, there's something certainly worth making the trip to visit, although I, I'm not necessarily coming across the country right away. But uh, uh, certainly if I were uh, a few towns away, I would want to get in there and uh, see some of the, the ways that you've set things up. Um, and in terms of the larger, um, the, the kind of collection, um, I, I did want to be sure to highlight uh, uh, one of, you have uh, some stuff from one of my uh, favorite uh, blogs, which is Suicide Food, which is uh, showing uh, advertising images that depict animals encouraging people to eat them or encouraging people to eat their species, although sometimes encouraging people to actually <laughs> eat them in a way that I think uh, really, uh, since they're mostly cartoon animals, it uh, it really speaks directly to uh, the kind of caricature that our, you know, our relationship with animals has become. Uh, and uh, there, unfortunately, just seem to be endless examples of this. Can you just speak to that a moment? by that particular blogger, um, Ben Grossblatt, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh -huh. um, and it really just depicts any animal um, as though they wish to be consumed. And I think in a psychological way, there's a number of reasons why suicide food is used in advertising. Um, it desensitizes viewers by trivializing the animal's life and death in an, this often kind of slapstick or humorous way. Um, no, it might soothe our guilt by blaming the victim, so essentially blaming animals. That either either the animal is shown killing his or herself or enticing the viewer to eat him or her, giving the impression that this animal wants to die for the greater good of humanity. Um, on another level, it devalues non-human life. I mean, these animals are less than us. Um, and it also reifies gender norms and patriarchal values. So, I mean, there's all of this kind of subtle and not so subtle um, imagery and messaging that goes into suicide food. And it just really goes into supporting this uh, indoctrination of sorts of our society that alleviates our guilt and says, you know, this is okay. They're just animals. Look at them. Um, and the cartoons is, is definitely one way to do that, although we have seen some marketing that uses more pictorial um, depictions of, of animals. But, yeah, it's just mind-blowing, and it's everywhere. I mean, everywhere, especially in Los Angeles. So, yeah, the suicide food is a very interesting component to it. And something else that I really um, was fascinated by is uh, are these gender depictions. Women and men have historically been compared to hens and roosters in so many different ways. And, I mean, it's that uh, that terminology that, permeates from generation to generation. It's like you don't even know how it came about, but it's just a part of our everyday life. So the idea that women are chicks 
or that they henpeck or they brood, um, that men can be cocked or, you know, uh, forget some of these other terms. But it's just a really fascinating section of this, of this exhibit, just viewing um, and perceiving chickens within popular culture. All right. Well, so let's uh, looking down the road. I mean, when you're setting up a museum, uh, you, it, it's a way of, of contextualizing things, not just bringing them together. And it, I have to remark again about suicide food that, it, it, you know, little examples of this are all over uh, and permeate our our media culture. But, you know, when you put them all together in one place and say, look at what all these are doing, um, it really makes us look at them in a different way. So that's part of the concept of, of a museum but also you're you're kind of taking things and and saying um you know this is something that has happened up to now and now we're, we're by putting it here we're uh we're hopefully kind of looking back on it i mean are you are you planning to you know keep this going as uh one anticipates uh vegan thinking to, uh, to kind of start permeating the culture so that you know, people. This will be the place where people have to come to see, uh, you know, examples of those these things that we now uh, today happen to still, unfortunately, be seeing all over the place. Definitely, definitely. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, "You don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been," and I feel that very applicable to our movement. And I mean, I think we've had quite a few successes in our movement, especially in terms of veganism. And just, you know, I was having lunch with Carol Adams when she was speaking at the museum and giving her famous sexual politics and meat slideshow just a few months ago. And we were out to dinner and it was a, a glorious dinner at this place called Flore. And she was remarking, you know, I don't think we've seen what vegan cuisine has to offer yet. And that got me thinking. That's incredibly true. For me, you know, I'm really tired of the hummus and sprout sandwich that was so popular in the 70s and 80s. You know, it's kind of hippie food. But, you know, veganism has gone so far into the future. I mean, we have these gourmet restaurants like Crossroads and, uh, you know, Candle 79 and Millennium, and they've just taken vegan cuisine to a whole other level. And so it's really exciting to know that it's not stopping here. It's going to continually be evolving. And for that reason, um, our, our uh, collections manager and the museum in general has a push to collect menus from these restaurants so we can kind of track these changes in veg cuisine. So if anyone who is listening is interested in you know, getting some menus from their local veg restaurant and sending those into us, we'd be so delighted to have those in our collection. And it's just a reminder that history is made every day and we're seeing it around all the time. So just to keep our you know, our our brains turning and, and keeping in mind that, you know, we're part of this living history. Right. Okay, great. Well, that is uh, the National Museum of Animals and Society. Uh, and, uh, again, get the, the uh, website out. It's www.museumofanimals.org. Uh, right, museumofanimals.org. And uh, my last uh, just uh, the thought I want to kind of sum this up is, you know, we're talking about animals and society and the human-animal bond, um, and I'm wondering where where do you personally see that going as, you know, as we evolve? Because there are, you know, certainly people who love their pets and uh, they want to strengthen that bond with certain animals, um, but you know, it has a kind of a, a catch-22 in it that the more that we honor animals and respect animals, the more that we kind of realize that 
society and animals are two different things, and you know, make forcing animals to be part of our society is is a large part of the problem. So, uh, how, do you see that, you know, evolving the 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 general bond, which we have, I think, kind of psychologically and spiritually, but do you see that evolving logistically uh, to be uh, so, such that there would be a, more of a separation between animals and society? Well, I think, well, what I love about our name of animals and society, it's, uh, you know, who is an animal? I mean, we're all animals, really, right. you know, sure. and so I didn't want to make this distinction between people and animals. We're all animals. And the fact is, animals have their own societies, too. And I think, you know, down the line, it'd be great to do an exhibit about that. You know, the chimpanzees have their own rituals of watching the sunrise or the sunset. And so how can you say that they don't have their own society, that they don't have, you know, their social structures and their traditions and their rituals? And so I think we're really breaking down um, these preconceived notions of what is animals, what is society, what is the bond. And, uh, you know, by saying, hey, you should really pay attention to this exhibit that we're doing on chickens and saying, hey, you know, it's not just dogs and cats that are important, but look at all these other animals. And I think you're going to see a lot of future exhibits coming out from our museum that are that are thought-provoking, that may be unconventional. Great. Well, we'll look forward to those. Uh, it's certainly uh, provocative and thought-provoking already uh, with what you have up, so I congratulate you on getting that going. We'll look forward to you know what, what you have coming up. And I want to say, Carolyn Mullen, thanks for joining us uh, to talk about the museum, the National Museum of Animals and Society on VegCast. Thank you, Ann. What I gotta do, 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 what I gotta do to make you go vegan. What I gotta take, wakey, shakey, go vegan. What I gotta do to make you go vegan. If I begged you on one knee, would you go vegan? If I made you a cup of tea, would you go vegan? You don't need to stop with chicken pops to make a tasty nugget. How can I signify that killing is cruel? Killing is cruel in a way that you won't shrug it. What I gotta do to make you go vegan? What I gotta take, wakey, shakey, go vegan? What I gotta do to make you go vegan If I gave you 50 bucks, would you go vegan? If I went and rented a tux, would you go vegan? You know it's Looney Tunes that you'd consume a pig but not a dog And don't you know that meat will cause your arteries, arteries, arteries to clog What I gotta do to make you go vegan what I gotta take, wakey, shakey, go vegan. What I gotta do to make you go vegan. You swear you care for animals, couldn't bear to see them hurt. So why go by their body parts? The madness is overt. You swear you care for animals, couldn't bear to see them hurt. So why go by their body parts? The madness is, madness is, madness is overt. What I gotta do to make you go vegan? What I gonna take, wakey, shakey, go vegan? What I gotta do to make you go vegan? What I gotta do to make you go vegan? For the animals, do it for your tail. What I gonna take, wakey, shakey, go vegan? For the planet, do it for your tail. What I gotta do to make you go vegan? 
make you go vegan. What I gotta do, what I gotta do, what I gotta do, what I gotta do, what I gotta do. What indeed I gotta do. That's the name of the song, What I Gotta Do, parenthetically, to make you go vegan by Vegan Smythe, who's uh, an Australian chap who's got a lot of funny songs uh, centered around animal advocacy, uh, keeps on coming up with new angles to get that point across uh, with song and video. He has uh, fun videos that accompany these songs, and uh, you can find the songs on iTunes. You can find his YouTube channel uh, on YouTube, obviously. Uh, you can find all of that by going to vegansmythe.com. That's vegan, S-M-Y-T-H-E, dot com. And one might say what I got to do to make you go vegan when talking with people who understand the dangers of cigarette smoking but don't seem to understand the very similar dangers of eating meat, which we're about to cover in this Science Our Science Fact for this VegCast is Can eating meat be just as bad for you as smoking? Now, with the 50th anniversary uh, just having occurred of the seminal uh, Surgeon General's report that tied smoking with cancer uh, and looking back over how long it's taken to get people to acknowledge that and do something about it and uh, right now cigarette smoking is now on the decline uh, we have this report that may be the beginning of a 50-year pattern with meat-eating but hopefully uh, it will not take quite that long this is a report uh, that was published on care2.com, right up of a review published at the end of 2013 that analyzes food supply data from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. Uh, it provides some motivation, says Care2, for sticking to your newly made resolutions. According to the study, eating a meat-rich diet could be as bad for you as smoking or drinking. Uh, the study was published in the journal Nutrients and was undertaken by William B. Grant of the Sunlight Nutrition and Health Research Center in Northern California. It's an ecological study that draws on data collected by others. Various types of cancer, uh, this write-up continues, including lung, prostate, breast, stomach, and liver, among others, among men and women in 157 countries were considered. Data from 87 of those countries was focused on as these countries, Japan and the U.S., are said to have high-quality data about health and diet. Based on the notion that there is, quote, generally a lag of up to 20 years between dietary changes and peak cancer rates, unquote, the study looks at data that goes back to 1980. The author found that smoking and consumption of animal products, meat, fish, milk, and eggs, were correlated with over half of the cancer incidence rates, with alcoholic beverage supply explaining a smaller amount. For men, smoking was found to play more of a role in increasing cancer risk. For women, eating animal products played the greatest role. Overall, the study found that consumption of meat and dairy products was most strongly correlated with cancers of the female breast, corpus uteri, kidney, ovarian, pancreatic, prostate, testicular, thyroid cancer, and multiple myeloma. Uh, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, 
Uh, sorry, that was my interpolation. Consumption of alcoholic beverages was only found to be linked to colorectal cancer, while lung cancer was found to be associated with animal fat supply in addition to cigarette supply. And uh, later on, the article mentions other research has tied eating meat to increased cancer risk. Research published in March found that eating a lot of processed meat, ham, bacon, sausages, burgers in particular, was associated with a higher risk of dying from cancer and heart disease. In October, researchers from the University of Southern California reported that eating red and processed meat was significantly associated with a greater risk for colorectal cancer in people with a certain genetic mutation. Um, Those are two examples, although uh, if you've been listening to VegCast over the years, you know that we've reported on many, many studies that have tied especially red and processed meat uh, to cancer. Uh, There is a strong correlation. These studies have not yet nailed down one single uh, uh, magic bullet or single bullet that explains causation, but we will look for and wait for that study to be announced, and when it is, you can bet that you'll hear it right here on the Science Fact. Okay, announcements time here on VegCast, and our first one is from Ian McDonald of the Vegan Option, who had a project he wanted me to mention. I asked him to type up something for me to say, and he delivered me some copy that was uh, just about newsroom ready, so I decided I had to go all the way with that effect. Teletype? Thank you. In London, podcast The Vegan Option has broken onto the airwaves with a commission from independent radio art station Resonance 104.4 FM. Londoners can hear half-hour shows twice a week. You might remember my exclusive excerpt from their show about Al Mari in a previous VegCast. Parenthetically, that's VegCast 106. Ian McDonald is now planning the first ever radio history of vegetarianism, and other vegetarians are helping make sure this happens by backing it at kickstarter.com. In fact, it was a quarter funded in the first couple of days. Find out more at theveganoption.org. And all funny voices aside, uh, this is a project I've talked to Ian about, um, he's really doing this upright and uh, doing some comprehensive research. So uh, check that out, kickstarter.com. See if you can kick in uh, a little bit to help him get this done. Uh, certainly a worthy project, which VegCast endorses. And uh, now we will turn to other announcements. This one uh, is particularly resonant with the National Museum of Animals and Society that we spoke about earlier on this podcast. I got a note from John Yunker of Ashland Creek Press, who says, As a vegan and co-founder of a small press devoted to literature about the environment and animal rights, I am pleased to announce the forthcoming publication, February 2014, of Among Animals, the Lives of Animals and Humans in Contemporary Short Fiction. We believe that literature has a uniquely powerful way of opening hearts and minds to the issues in the area of animal protection. And for more information about this book, you can go to ashlandcreekpress.com slash book slash amonganimals.html. And that link will be in our show notes at vegcast.com. So you can just go there and click right through rather than scurrying to write that down right now. Uh, One last announcement is about VegCast itself and the schedule 
thereof, uh, which I am now changing again to. VegCast episodes will now be released on an ad hoc basis, on a case-by-case podcast basis. We are kind of phasing out the overall VegCast arm of the Vance Lemcool vegan empire. Uh, however, there will be additional VegCasts uh, to come this year. Uh, they just, we're not going to uh, try to keep just cranking them out as we have over the past 119 episodes, all of which, I remind you, remain online for free uh, for the foreseeable future uh, for people to uh, get all of the information, entertainment, and so forth uh, from those podcasts. But uh, I have to explain uh, that part of the reason for the hiatus in between the last podcast and this one is that I was busy getting uh, going a new vegan blog on philly.com. I encourage you to check that out. It's a uh, kind of a spinoff from my vegan column in the Philadelphia Daily News, which is called V for Veg. The blog is called V for Vegan, and it uh, you I think you'll find a lot of stuff of interest there. It's uh, obviously centered around Philly. Uh, but there are uh, plenty of things of interest to vegetarians and vegans from all over the world. And you can find that at philly.com slash vegan blog. So I hope that uh, people will get their vegan news and information from that and from the plethora of vegan podcasts that are out there. Now, the vegan option is one I just mentioned, uh, but it's one of many that have uh, flourished in the years since VegCast was started, back in uh, 2005 when we started. There were just a couple of other vegan podcasts, and it was a niche that uh, really needed to be filled, and I'm glad that I was able to play a part in that. Uh, Now I'm kind of going to be stepping back somewhat uh, let's just say stepping upstage a little bit to let some of the fine podcasts that are now uh, coming out uh, handle the heavy lifting <laughs> of vegetarian podcastry. And again, uh, we do have a list of those on vegcast.com on the main page of other vegan podcasts, which uh, if you have one that I don't have listed there, please send that in to Vance at vegcast.com. But uh, in the meantime, that is going to wrap it up for VegCast 120, and we are out of here. All right, yes, that is VegCast 120, and I want to thank my guest Carolyn Mullen for talking with us about the National Museum of Animals and Society. And I want to thank Vegan Smythe for giving us permission to play What I Gotta Do to make you go vegan. And, of course, I want to thank you, the VegCast listener, uh, for sticking with us over the years and uh, for downloading and subscribing. You should still subscribe because there will be more VegCast. I can't say exactly when the next one will be, but until that point, please get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.